The Canadian immigration process can be complex and frustrating. With the Canadian Immigration Department making it virtually impossible to speak to an officer, there are few places to turn to for trusted information. The Canadian Immigration Podcast was created to fill this void by offering the latest on immigration law, policy, and practice. Please welcome ex-immigration officer and Canadian immigration lawyer, Mark Holthy, as he is joined by industry leaders across Canada, sharing insight to help you along your way. Hello everyone, have you ever wondered why your study permit got refused? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. In fact, Alicia is going to share her top 10 reasons why Canadian study permits are refused and what you can do to stop that from happening. So Alicia, why in the world did you decide to write a blog post on this particular topic? Absolutely. Well, it is one of the things that has come up in consults time and time again. So people will want to reach out and they say, well, can't I apply for a study permit? And I'll start asking them questions and there will be probably about five strikes against them. And sometimes when you've got too many strikes against you, it's going to be really, really tough to ever get your study permit approved. And it's important to honestly talk about this and do an assessment of whether a study permit is something you should be applying for to Canada if there are a lot of things that would be problematic in your application. Some of them you can address, some of them you might have a hard time trying to justify to the immigration officer. Yeah. All right, let's dive right in and we're going to hit right off the bat number 10, the long gap between your last period of study and now. So what do you mean by that one? Sometimes people say, I'm going to apply for a Canadian study permit, but they have not been studying for 10 or 20 years since the last time they've done a degree, or maybe it was just when they finished high school. And so if there's been a really long time between the last period of studies and now, then it's not fatal. Maybe there's a way that you can explain it depending on what's gone on in your life. But it is a reason why an immigration officer or the system, if we're looking at how immigration is screening it based on artificial intelligence, might flag it as being an issue. So if you're a mature student, if you've not been in school for a very long time, if it's been over five years or 10 or 20 years, that could be an issue. Um, if you've been doing something completely different with your life in terms of your career and your path, and then all of a sudden you want to come back and study something that's unrelated, you're going to want to explain that to immigration. All right, number nine, you have a history of prior study permit and temporary resident visa refusals. And so some people, they go shopping. They go shopping for their study permit. They might try the US, they might try somewhere in Australia, maybe they try Canada, and maybe they have a string of refusals. Maybe they've been refused a study permit application to the US, to Australia, to somewhere in Europe, and now they decide they're gonna try to apply for a study permit to Canada. 
It's even worse if you have a prior study permit to Canada that's been refused as well. And also you might have had visitor visas refused to multiple countries. So if this has happened to you, again, if it's only one TRV refusal, for example, it might not be fatal. It might not be something that's going to derail your application. But if there's a long pattern and history of you being refused your applications, it's definitely going to be something that pops up on immigration system. And there needs to be a really good explanation for why those prior applications have been refused, what's changed, how are you addressing it head on instead of just trying to sweep it under the carpet and pretend it didn't exist. So it's important that you show for sure, acknowledge it, that you have been refused in the past, address it, make sure that you're not getting into the realm of misrepresentation for failing mm -hmm. to disclose, yeah. but then also provide a good explanation for what's happened, what's changed. Number eight. You've submitted an express entry profile or submitted another PR application to Canada. This is yeah. one I get asked about all of the time. What is the impact of having a profile? Does it result in an automatic study permit refusal? So no, it doesn't result in an automatic study permit refusal, but keep in mind that there are different forms of temporary residence and permanent residence. So when we're looking at temporary residence, this is where we're talking about work permits, visitor visas, study permits. If we're looking at permanent residence applications, these are ones where sponsorships, so family or um, spousal sponsorships, or maybe an economic application, so express entry or one of the provincial nominee programs maybe. But if you have an ongoing intent to apply for a permanent resident program such as Express Entry and you've submitted a profile, what you're saying to immigration is, I want to immigrate permanently. I want to become a permanent resident of Canada. When you are doing a study permit application, you have an obligation under the legislation to prove you have a temporary intent to only come here to study and to go home after the end of your authorized period of studies. It is possible to have a dual intent under Section 22 of the Immigration and Refugee Protection Act. You can have both intents as long as your permanent intent does not eclipse or override your temporary intent. But it's tricky to prove this. And so if you have the option of delaying putting in an express entry profile, then it's probably best to do that. If you wanted to go for that study permit application and you don't know if you're gonna qualify for express entry, then don't put in that express entry profile right away do the study permit, give it your best shot. And if you get approved, great, you can come here to study. And in the meantime, if you happen to want to pursue permanent residence because that's an option for you and you qualify, then you can justify that to the immigration officer by saying, I've got a dual intent. I'm validly going to comply with my study permit conditions and go home if I have to. But if I happen to get an ITA, then great, I'm gonna pursue my express entry application. Number seven. You want to bring your spouse and or kids with you to Canada. Does it really yeah, make a difference? It does really make a difference. And this is where it gets tricky because some people have a spouse and they have children and they can't imagine leaving their spouse and their child in their home country, traveling to Canada by themselves, completing their Canadian education because it would be really difficult for them emotionally to do that on their own. So, it honestly does depend. It depends on how long you've been outside of school. It depends on what your career objectives are. It also depends on how much money you have. So immigration has clearly said that if you are the principal applicant on the study permit application, you have to prove you have paid your tuition or are able to pay your tuition for at least that first full year. 
and you have at least $10,000 to cover your own living expenses. If you add your spouse and kids, it's going to be another $4,000 per person that you're bringing to show that you can cover their living expenses. The other thing is, is that it erodes your temporary intent because they're looking at your ties to your home country and your ties to Canada. If you have brought your entire nuclear family with you, your spouse and your children, and there's nobody left in your home country, then you've lost significant ties to your home country and you're going to have to prove and work that much harder to prove to immigration that all of you are going to go back to your home country when you're done your studies. Uh, number six, actually, is what we're on here. You have siblings or family already in Canada. And so this is where immigration can look at the push-pull factors. So they can look at how many people are back in your home country that are willing to offer you a place to stay if you have to go back, that are going to act as a draw for you in your home country versus how many people are in Canada. And let's say you've got five brothers and sisters and all of them are in Canada and you're the last one that is going to come over and study in Canada. It's kind of hard to say that you're going to go back to your home country if most of your family members are are already in Canada, even if they're not necessarily permanent residents, maybe some of them are, some of them aren't. But the more people you have in Canada, the harder generally it is to prove family ties or other ties back to your home country. Number five, you didn't do very well in school. <laughs> your marks were low in your last program of studies. And this is one where it is a little bit subjective, right? Depending on your program of studies and the country of studies, some people think that they've done pretty well. And maybe they think they did pretty well if they got about a 65% average. Whereas Canadian immigration officers might say, uh-uh, I don't think a 65 is very good. I want to see, you know, straight A's or a GPA above 3.5 or something like this. So be careful. If you think you've done well, maybe do a double check in terms of what was the average for that class, for that kind of program, right? Engineering marks are often low, for example, but a lot of other programs tend to have, have higher averages. So if you didn't do very well, and this is going to be subjective, but double check with a few people to figure out what kind of the Canadian standards would be. If you got C's and D's, that's probably going to be an issue in terms of an immigration officer saying justifiably, well, if this person didn't do well in their home country, then how are they going to do well at a Canadian course of studies? Number four, your English or French language skills are low. Mm -hmm. And this is a question I get asked quite often is, do you have to have your IELTS results or can I do Duolingo, for example? So some universities or colleges are allowing these Duolingo tests. Um, some universities or colleges require IELTS academic results rather than the IELTS general results, which we normally use for Canadian express entry applications. But Depending on your college, follow the rules with your college or university. It has to be a designated learning institution in Canada and follow what they say in terms of what requirements they have for English or French language testing. But if your scores are low, so if they're on the low end, it's possible that the immigration officer is going to question your ability to properly or complete the system program requirements in Canada at that education. Um, at a high enough level, right? They're wondering if you're going to get high enough marks in your Canadian studies if your language skills are 
a little bit below par because it's hard. It's hard to be in a foreign country and have different accents and be able to do the substantive work and also to understand all the nuances of the language. So the higher your English or French language tests tend to be, the better the chance of proving to that officer that you have a good ability to succeed in Canada. Down to the last three. Number three, no logical connection between your prior education, career, and the program you are seeking in Canada. And this is important. Um, Immigration doesn't really tell you in its document checklist when you're doing a study permit application that you have to provide a very thorough explanation for why. But you do, because it needs to be obvious in terms of what did you do in the past? What was your prior education? What was your, maybe you've graduated and then worked for a little bit. So what was your career so far? And then how is this Canadian education going to advance your career in your home country? So what is that logical connection between doing this course of studies And how is it going to make you more employable or competitive in your field of your career choice? Number two, you cannot show that you have sufficient finances to afford your Canadian studies. And this is a big one, especially because international tuition fees are really high and it's all in Canadian currency. And if you're in a country where you have scraped and saved and maybe your family has sold property in order to be able to afford your tuition fees, It is really essential that you make sure that you're doing everything properly. You're giving yourself the best chance of success. But if you can't show that you can afford the length of your program and there's a likelihood that you will not be able to complete your program, immigration can refuse you for a lack of sufficient finances. And we referred to it a little bit before, but make sure you're paying that one first full year of tuition. If you're doing SDS, so student direct stream, you have to show that you've paid that full first year of tuition. Sometimes the immigration institute or the college or university will not actually normally accept that full first full year of tuition and you're gonna have to give it to them and have them have it in a trust account or on credit for the next semester. So get your receipts for that. But you've got to be able to show how you're able to afford your studies. And if you have a giant sum of money that mysteriously appears in your account from somebody, you're going to need to show where that came from, get a gift deed. Usually it's parents that are giving kids money. Make sure you get a properly notarized gift deed showing who that money came from. And I'll add one little piece of of information when it comes to gift deeds that I share a lot on the express entry front. And that's that Family may give money, but friends, eh, they tend to be the ones to loan money. And so be careful. All right. The last one, the moment we've all been waiting for, number one, which of course is misrepresentation. So if the immigration officer thinks that you have not told the truth in your immigration application for your study permit, they can very easily refuse you. Um, If they have more evidence that you've misrepresented, or if they ask you for an updated Schedule A, for example, or if they've cross-referenced your prior applications with this application, and they find things that just don't match, you can be barred for five years for misrepresentation. This also 
kind of exposes that nasty underbelly of some things that are happening in other countries where you have people who are taking advantage of, of students. They have schemes where they may have false documents or they may have something that hasn't been properly um, vetted or shown to the applicant themselves. They just create the documents and submit them with the, without the applicant knowing. And this is, it's big business and it's absolutely illegal. And so if there is fraud going on, um, if there's misrepresentation, even if the applicant doesn't know that their agent has misrepresented, it can still be misrepresentation. And I've got a link to a case there where that was discussed specifically. But be really careful. Make sure that you are submitting your own application. You know what's in your application, every single aspect of your application. Um, this is why I love our collaborative review model, Mark. The applicant is in control of their application. They have access to their own portal. We're not taking control of it. We're just reviewing that application with them. So make sure that you understand everything that's in your application and you've been completely honest. Perfect. Thanks so much, Alicia. You know, with within our firm, we do a lot of this. And um, obviously, when you do your very, very best to read all the instructions and to follow what immigration says, there are still things that you can miss. And they don't tell you how to complete a plan. You know, any kind of a statement of, 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 of why this program is going to work for you. And so, like Alicia said, the collaborative review that we do allows us to really work collectively put our minds together with our clients to help them sort through this and um, if you as an applicant do not know what's going into your application then that is a huge massive red flag that you should not be using that representative to assist you you need to be fully apprised of what's in there and the more you're involved realistically the better the result is going to be so um, yeah so these top tens we see them repeatedly over and over and other people may have other things that they might slide into that list. But generally speaking, if you can tackle that and you can uh, make sure that you're addressing each of these issues, and let's face it, sometimes these are things that are just a part of yourself that you can't change. Um, and the best you can do is mitigate the damage and try to address it up front, which is something we always like to do, identify the problem areas, lay them right out there for the officer, and then explain why they're not an issue. So um, yeah, so this is great. Uh, those of you who are new to our channel and just watching this for the first time, um, our firm is Healthy Immigration Law. And if I slide over here to our right, make sure I get the right screen here. There we go. If you slide over to our website, Healthy Immigration Law, those listening on the podcast, it's www.holthe, H-O-L-T-H-E-L-A-W.com. You can head over to our resource section and access the blog post that Alicia wrote on the top 10 reasons study permit applications are refused. Um, everything that we talked about today is free and for your perusal. Um, I also want to let everybody know that very soon on our Canadian Immigration Institute YouTube channel, um, you will see a notification for a new DIY course. And those are all found on the Canadian Immigration Institute website. And right now we have our express entry course that's coming up April 25th to the 29th. And very soon you will see a new study permit course that is going to be launched probably in May. So stay tuned for that. And uh, if we can get it turned around a little bit sooner, we will do that. But this is what we love to do. And uh, so watch for that.
This episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast is sponsored by the Canadian Immigration Institute, one of the best sources of video content on Canadian immigration to help you navigate your way through the Canadian immigration process. Head on over to the YouTube channel where there's tons of video content and you can join Mark, yes, myself, in a number of live video streams, Q&As, all designed to help you navigate your way through this crazy Canadian immigration process. When you're done there, like and subscribe and then head on over to the CanadianImmigrationInstitute.com where you can find all those awesome DIY courses that I've been talking about. Thank you, Canadian Immigration Institute. You are the sponsor of this amazing little podcast.